Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike Emergency Edition. After Xander Bogarts is going to the San Diego Padres, what an absolute nightmare for the Red Sox, and really for all of us, because I felt like it was a pretty good day. And we'll get into all this. You got Kenley Jansen. You got Yoshiba to come over from Japan. You felt really good about Heim Bloom. This is a good day for Heim Bloom. And then this happens. This whole thing backfires on him. I mean, I'm getting pumped up about the Celtics tonight. They're up 40 points against the Phoenix Suns. The Bruins are beating the shit out of the Avalanche. And then we get this bomb dropped on us right after the Celtics. Garbage time ends in the fourth quarter. And we got to deal with this situation. So just to give you the particulars before we get into what this means. John Heyman, the first to have it. He redeemed himself from the Aaron Judge to the Giants thing. 11 years, $280 million, and that's 25 and a half per season. 11 years and $300 million, remember, for Trey Turner, $27.3 million. And I'm sure there's some sort of opt-outs. We don't have the particulars exactly of Xander's deal yet, but it's Boris, so I'm sure there's opt-outs in there. Jeff Passan had it. Pete Abraham had it. So it's now official. Xander Bogarts is going to the San Diego Padres. And this is one that I never wanted to do. I really never wanted to do this emergency podcast. If we we're going to do one tonight, I wanted to do it about, holy shit, they capped off the day by retaining Xander Bogarts. And Bogarts is going to retire a member of this organization. But of course, that's not the case whatsoever. They made a lot of nice signings today. And then this. So let's just start with this. Because as much as I look at this contract, and I can look at it from a pragmatic standpoint and say, hey, 11 years for a guy that's turning 30, North of $25 million per season, it seems crazy. That's the direction the league is going, though. Trey Turner, we just mentioned he got $300 million. And as we mentioned the other day, Bogarts and Turner are really comparable players. So that's the going rate. But that isn't the story here. Even if you say, hey, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of years for Xander Bogarts. That's not the story. The story is this. This was a pillar 
of your organization, the leader of your organization, the guy, quite frankly, that if you brought him back, you should have given him the damn thing that Veritek had, that stupid ass C on his jersey. But nonetheless, you should have just done it out of respect for Bogarts. This guy signed with this organization when he was 16 years old. It should have never gotten to this point with Bogarts. This is why we watch sports. We fall in love with our guys, okay? And this isn't a Pierce situation where he was basically done as a Celtic and the Celtics were done. Pierce was old. Like That was to help Pierce. Hey, you're going to go to a team, try to win with Darren Williams and that group, even though that completely blew up. But totally different situation. Pierce... Always remembered as a Celtic, played most of his career here, right? Same thing could be said about like Chara at the end of his career. Okay, Chara's going to Washington at the end. I, you get it at that point, right? Wasn't a lot of meat left on the bone with the Chara situation. But this is a guy that still had so much more to give, and he never wanted to leave. Bogarts didn't want to leave the Red Sox organization. It wasn't his choice. The Sox made this choice for Bogarts, and in particular, Heim Bloom made this choice for Xander Bogarts, okay? Before the season, Xander was open to talking about a contract. What was the Red Sox offer then? One extra year, so four years for $90 million. That's $22.5 million per season. Trevor Story's deal with the Red Sox, six for 140, so that's $23.3 million per season. So you offered him less money than what you gave Story. A guy that Bogarts, remember, called to come here. So you were telling Xander Bogarts, the leader of this team, a two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, a two-time World Series champion, you were telling him, hey, Trevor Story is more valuable than you. That's what you were saying to Xander Bogarts by the dumbass, stupid offer that you made to him prior to the season. Okay? And Story, remember, Story said this prior to the season. When Bogarts called him, that call kind of solidified a lot of things for him. I knew the situation already, but you know, that call kind of made me feel a lot more comfortable with the situation. That is Trevor Story saying, hey, really what sealed it for him is Bogarts called him because he knew Bogarts was the shortstop. He knew this was Bogarts' team. And Bogarts reaching out to a guy that played the same position as him to say, hey, we need you because all Bogarts wants to do is win, and he felt like, okay, Trevor Story gives us, a ch- uh, gives us a chance to win, so he's trying to help the organization, even bring in a guy that plays the same position as him. He helped land Story. That's the type of leader. That's the type of person. That's the type of winner that Xander Bogarts is. How is he rewarded? Hey, uh, hey, Xander, we'll give you less money than that guy. Hey, you know the guy you just called for me? We'll give you less money than him. I mean, what a slap in the face. Bogarts, remember, prior to the season, He was nearly crying at the podium because of the offer the Red Sox made to him because he knew he couldn't take it. Bogarts is not the guy that's asking for the most money in the world. He's not. He just wants to be respected. And that offer was not respectful. It was disrespectful, right? So Bogarts gets disrespected prior to the season. He gives the Red Sox another mulligan. That's the thing. He gave them another mulligan. He told Pete Abraham in May, I don't know how this would work. But if they talk to Scott behind closed doors and it's something that is fair, he can come to me. We'll see how that goes. Crickets. We find out the Red Sox never go to Bogarts, never go to his reps about another extension. Never went to him. When Xander is saying this publicly, right, this is after the Red Sox humiliated him because 
of the offer that they made prior to the season. You could tell that the guy was completely heartbroken, even though he said, hey, we're not discussing my contract during the season. Scott Boris said, we're not discussing the contract during the season. He says, hey, we'll do it. You know what? I'm open to it. Crickets. They still don't want to give this guy an offer. So I don't want to hear anyone saying the fucking money was too much because it, first of all, it didn't have to get to this level. If you had already extended Xander Bogarts, it never would have gotten to this point, okay? This is the same guy that went to the Red Sox in 2019. Remember, when Dave Dombrowski was giving out contracts left and right, like, Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. That's what he was doing. You get a contract, you get a contract. Chris Sale, let me give you an extension. Nathan Navaldi, you get an extension. Steve Pierce, you get an extension. Bogarts went to the Red Sox, right? When Mookie was saying, no, 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 I'm not interested in a contract right now. Okay, I'm going to free agency. That was Mookie's plan the whole time. Things changed when he got traded to the Dodgers, but that was Mookie's plan, okay? And this isn't an indictment on Mookie. That's not what I'm doing here. My point being is Bogarts is the guy that went to the Red Sox and said, Hey, can I get an extension? He signs a six-year, $120 million deal with this organization. $20 million per season. A deal, remember, that Scott Boris didn't want him to take. Boris did not want Xander to take that contract because he felt like, okay, we can get more money down the road here. Xander took it because he wanted to be here. Remember, when Xander signed that contract in 19, the Red Sox were right on the West Coast. When they're talking about his contract extension, All his teammates get out there because that's the guy. That's the leader of the organization. They're all there because their guy, they feel awesome that their guy just got a contract extension. He didn't need to break the bank. Now, he ended up breaking the bank because he got to free agency. It didn't need to happen this way, right? Speaking of that, Alex Spear, Boston Globe tonight. Not a hot take artist, right? Nobody would confuse Alex Spear with a hot take artist, right? This is what he reported tonight. The Red Sox were really far apart from the Padres' offer, and their offer was short of $200 million. That makes you sick. They wouldn't even get to $200 million. They got $280 from the Padres. How did they think they were going to get this done? And this shit that they were trying to tell us all off-season long is just that. It's pure shit. How could you tell us all season long, all off season long, he's your number one priority? How could you even tell us that if the offer didn't even reach $200 million as Alex Spear reported? How could you say that the entire offseason? How could you say that the entire season that he's the priority? That makes no sense whatsoever. You wouldn't even get to $200 million? You're more than $80 million off of the offer that Bogart's got? Don't tell us that you wanted the player. Your behavior tells us you didn't want the player. So that garbage that they've been spewing month after month after month, I mean, that is ridiculous. I legitimately feel bad for Xander. Now, great that he got his 280. I mean, I'm sure he's happy he signed for $280 million with a different organization. But man, this is a joke. And you know what? You know who should be really embarrassed right now? Not just Bloom, Fenway Sports Group, because this is a joke. You don't come close. I mean, the Padres are that far ahead of you in the offer. And I don't know if Bloom has a spell over this organization, whatever it is, how you bought into not coming that close to an offer for Xander Bogarts. You got a PR problem right now with this organization. Flat out have a PR problem. I cannot believe that they weren't close to that. This guy wanted to be a Red Sox for life, but you made his decision for him. He had to leave. There was no way he couldn't leave. I mean, really think about this. What were, what would you do if you're Bogarts? Hey, uh, Xander, uh, we'll give you about a buck 90. Well, I got 280, guys. Like, I want to play for you. The guy is begging to play for the Red Sox, and you can't even come close to the offer he's getting on the open market. I mean, it's just a flat-out joke. 
It's embarrassing. This is the Boston Red Sox. This is embarrassing. And by the way, remember, Rafael Devers, this is what he said this offseason to a Dominican outlet. For me, Xander Bogarts is a big part of the team. And he always has been here with the Red Sox. He's my friend. He's my family. So I'd like him to stay here. I hope they sign both of us. Now, look, maybe Rafi gets a $400 million offer, but does anybody think that's coming down the table with Rafael Devers? Does anybody think they're offering him $350 million? Because this is what we know. They offered him the Austin Riley deal prior to the season. We found that out around the All-Star break, $212 million. Devers wants 10 years, $300 million plus. We found out that the Red Sox and Devers, there's still a big gap there. Does anybody think it's getting done with Rafael? How could anybody have confidence that this is getting done if Xander Bogarts, they were off by more than $80 million? How can you feel confident whatsoever? And then the reverse of that is, well, then you're in a real pickle if Rafael Devers says, well, then fuck this. I want to get out of here. Why would he want to be here if he knows that what's going to happen at the end of the season is he's going to get lowballed? Rafael Devers, here's the problem for the Red Sox. Here's the problem for Bloom. He has all the leverage. You have no leverage whatsoever. Devers is one year away from hitting the open market. So now what do we have? A Mookie situation where, by the way, Devers is entering his 26-year-old season. He's in his prime. You could argue he hasn't even hit his prime yet. And you're not willing to go to $300 million right now. So if you don't get this one done, what are you going to do? Trade him? Does anybody feel comfortable about Bloom making a trade like this? Who do you get from Mookie? Alex Verdugo, Connor Wong, Jeter Downs. So either pay the guy or Heim Bloom's going to trade him. I mean, how can ownership sign off on a trade of that magnitude? How could they do it? They saw what the Mookie return was. How could you sign off on a deal like that? And you just have to look at the ownership group and say, what happens if you didn't fire Dave Dombrowski where you completely overreacted? Three straight division titles, a World Series title. You have a bad 19. The pitchers were burned out. They had a bad plan at the beginning of the season. Remember, all these guys retired to begin the year. They pitched so many innings in the postseason. They weren't ready to go. They didn't ramp them up. They had a really bad start out west. And then Cora made that odd decision to switch Benintendi and Mookie at the top of the lineup. That never worked out. You had a bad year. And you overreacted. And you fired Dave Dombrowski. And I know a lot of us were upset with Dombrowski at the time. But let's be real. The guy built a winner. The guy built a team that was always competitive. Dave always landed his guy. And now you think about it. What if Dave Dombrowski's here? Well, we do know that Dave Dombrowski is no stranger to handing out money. You think it would have gotten to this point with Bogarts? You think Devers would be at this point where he was a year away from free agency? You think that would have happened with Devers? You think that would have happened with Bogarts? Well, I'll tell you what. It wouldn't have happened. These guys would be signed if Dave Dombrowski was still here. Okay? And now you think about this. You better hope this team's competitive because we saw what the ballpark looked like at the end of the season, right? And you think about this. Story, good luck to this guy, okay? Because one of the things with Story is this. If Bloom wants the best out of his investment in Story, it would have been, let's keep Xander here. Because now Story is going to be compared to Bogarts for the rest of his career. Unless something else happens, which I'll get into in greater detail in just a little bit here. But Story, the guy that Bloom, remember, Bloom. <laughs> Thought that Trevor's story was worth more money than Xander Bogarts last offseason. He did. <laughs> By the numbers, he thought he was worth more. You know what Trevor's story did last year? First of all, he's hurt all the time. He hit 238. Okay. That was 160th out of 246 uh, players that had at least 350 plate appearances. His on base percentage was 303, 172nd out of 246. 
His strikeout rate, 30.8%, 233rd out of 246. <laughs> I mean, his called strike plus whiff rate. So however many, however many whiffing or looking at a strike, 28.9%. You know where that ranked? 183rd out of 246. You wanted to pay him more than bogey. The ownership group better wake up. This is how he evaluates talent. <laughs> this guy's worth more than Xander Bogarts. I mean, you've got to give me a break. And I just wonder... Do you care about your fans? Because even if you can get around one of these guys, right? So even if you get around, hey, Mookie, he was going to get to free agency. Things changed when he got to a situation where there was a global pandemic, right? And Mookie decided to take that deal with the Dodgers, right? And if there isn't a global pandemic, maybe he gets to free agency, doesn't re-sign with the Dodgers. But maybe you can convince yourself Mookie didn't want to be here. Fine. Although there wasn't a counteroffer after Mookie put up that 400 that he wanted, whatever the negotiations back and forth between the two sides. So say you can get over Mookie. Xander's gone. I can't remember one person saying anything bad about Xander Bogarts. Now, there was a lot of bad blood with the Mookie situation, right? There was things going on in both directions. Nothing bad with Xander Bogarts. Nothing. Nothing in the clubhouse. He's the leader of the clubhouse. The manager loves Xander Bogarts. Nobody dislikes Xander Bogarts. I can't Remember anybody saying anything negative to me about Xander Bogarts and Xander Bogarts is gone. What if Raphael Devers is gone? So all three of them, we're talking about homegrown studs. We're talking about champions. We're talking about in the case of Mookie Betts in MVP. We're talking about a silver slugger award winner in Xander Bogarts. We're talking about one of the best sluggers in the game in Raphael Devers. You're telling me that this guy Bloom is going to lose all three of them because he's already lost two. Why would anybody have confidence that he's going to keep the last one? So now he better clean this mess up. And I'm not telling you that you can find somebody that can be Xander Bogarts in terms of what he means to the fan base, but now he has to make a big splash. There's only one way to fill the soul. There's only one thing that he can do to at least give you something to feel confident about heading into next season. That's Correa. I'm sorry, that's the only thing you can do. Carlos Correa, who's a younger player, he's entering his 28-year-old season compared to Bogarts, who was at his 30-year-old season. Bogarts is a much better player than Dansby Swanson. Swanson's an outstanding defensive player, but Swanson's a guy that strikes out a lot. Bogarts is a far superior player to Swanson. Swanson won't get it done. You need to get Correa. If you're going to try to weasel your way out of this one, you got to sign Correa. And we'll see. What, what is he going to be willing to offer Correa? So if he wouldn't go to over $200 million for a guy like Bogarts, what would he offer Correa? The Cubs are going to make him a big offer. Now, Correa, look at the Giants. The Giants missed out on Aaron Judge. The Giants are going to be in on Correa. So I just can't envision that happening. Now, you can make the case for Correa over Bogart just because the age, and you look at the numbers, Correa, better power numbers, 22 home runs compared to Xander at 15, and Correa had 41 fewer plate appearances. He slugged 467 compared to Bogart's at 456. The expected slug for Correa, 484 compared to Bogart's at 383. Correa had a slight edge in OPS. And if you look at the hard hit rate, clear advantage for Correa, that's balls off the bat, 95 plus miles an hour, 44.7% compared to Bogarts, who's at 39.5%. And despite the fact that Bogarts had a really good defensive season this year, we know that Correa is the far superior defensive player. Since 17, 60 defensive runs saved, second among shortstops. Bogarts at minus 33, despite the good year this year, 20th, okay? And as we mentioned, he's younger. So... You can make a case that Correa is a better player than Xander Bogarts, and by most of the numbers, he is a better player. But does anybody think that Heim Bloom's going to save this situation by signing Carlos Correa? And even if they do sign Carlos Correa, I won't give Bloom credit. You know who I'll give credit to? 
the ownership group woke the fuck up and they let Cora recruit the guy because obviously Cora has a good relationship with Correa. That's the only way they're going to get him is if Cora does this and ownership signs off and giving this guy a big contract. Because if Hein Bloom's in charge of trying to get Carlos Correa here, you're not getting Carlos Correa here. That's the bottom line. Absolute mess of a day for the Red Sox. Okay, after all the good stuff, this happens with Xander Bogarts. And it's just upsetting. It, it really is. I mean, this is a guy that you cheer for. This is a guy that you loved watching. This is a guy you felt bad for all season, that he didn't get a contract. That moment where he gets lifted from the game, where Cora wants to get him an applause. And he doesn't even get a great applause because no one's at Fenway because Heim Bloom built a shitty baseball team this year. Didn't bring back Schwarber. Gave away Renfro for nobody that helped you at the major league level. Had the worst bullpen that I've seen in recent years, especially from a Red Sox perspective. I mean, they were awful. Dave Dombrowski always had a good bullpen, by the way. So he didn't even get the applause that he necessarily should have gotten. Didn't even have a chance to compete this year because of the team that Bloom put out there. Just embarrassing the way this whole thing transpired. I legitimately feel bad for Xander. Although, I do come back to the 280 mil. I'm glad he got that. I'm glad somebody valued Xander Bogarts that way to give him that type of money. Now, as it pertains to Bogarts, that San Diego Padres organization seems to be a little bit snake bitten. Who the hell knows what's going on with Tatis? I heard that maybe they're now going to put Tatis in the outfield. Bogarts is going to play short. Manny Machado is going to play third base. I don't trust that organization whatsoever. I get it. He's going to go live in beautiful San Diego and all that, but I trust the Dodgers a lot more than I trust that Padres team. So that would be, and I know the Padres, they had their run in the postseason this year and all that, but man, I don't know. That Padres team, I, I don't know. I, I don't trust that situation for Xander Bogarts going forward, but I am happy for Bogarts. I'm pissed off as a Red Sox fan. And I just wonder, what are we doing, man? What are we doing? We're not keeping the players that you want to see. You're not keeping your stars that give it all to your organization. That'd be my last part of the Bogarts thing is, what message does this send to young studs in the organization? They traded Mookie. Bogart's left. Rafi's got one year left. You're talking about young studs in this organization. How do they feel about this situation? Ownership better wake up. They have got to wake up to this Heim Bloom situation. You know what? They probably back Heim Bloom because they look really bad right now. The Dave Dombrowski, who's going to the Hall of Fame, just took another team to the World Series. And guess what? He just paid a guy $300 million because he said, we're close, but we're not close enough. So he went out and he got Trey Turner. He doesn't give a shit about year six, seven, eight. He cares about now trying to win a World Series. The banner is going to be there forever. You're going to have the ring forever. But Bloom wants this long-term sustainability. That's great, but I want to know when that starts. Because since Bloom has been here, 2020, they were bad. 2022, they finished in last place behind the Baltimore Orioles who were tanking, who weren't trying to win. You tell me, when are they going to start winning here? All right, well, this Bogart situation, of course, has us all really pissed off, but I do have some good news. The boss, Bill Simmons, just texted me, so we'll get his reaction to Bogart's going to San Diego, and I'm sure we'll hit on the Celtics as well because they're a wagon right now. We'll have to touch on the Patriots as well as Mac Jones and company get ready for Monday night football against this Cardinals team. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba -ba -ba -ba. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. It is now 1.53 local time here after I just lost control of my thoughts completely with this Bogart situation. Joining us now... The boss, Bill Simmons. Bill, how are you, man? 
First of all, I'm proud of you for doing a pod this late. I was so impressed. I'm wearing glasses right now. I had already taken my contacts out. I was just kind of relaxed. Then, then I heard you were doing a pod, and I got upset again about the Bogarts thing. And here I am. This should have been a happy day for us, Barrett. We had the Celtics game. They're up by 45. I know. In the third quarter to <laughs> a really, really good team. And they're just laying the smack down on ESPN. And I, I do feel like out in the public, there's this general sentiment that Maybe the Celtics thing isn't totally real, that it's just a hot start. They, Everyone who's watching game to game gets it. But I think nationally, I don't think people are there yet. And I think this could be a big West Coast trip. Anyway, I was so excited for that. And then the gut punch of the Bogart thing. The money's ridiculous. I'm sure you talked about that at the top. 280 for 11 years is idiotic. But it just goes back to last winter. What was the objective? What are you trying to do? What's your plan? What's your vision? How do you take into account the fact that this guy's been there? It was heading into his ninth year. Great Red Sox player. Great guy. Great teammate. Everybody liked him. That's like the whole point of rooting for a franchise is that these guys stick around and you get attached to three or four of them over the course of a generation, right? If you're not going to do that, there's no point in really having a any sort of a sports team. So they could have taken care of this last winter. I think it would have been what, 175, 180, somewhere in there. And I think they lowballed him and went lower. And he's just like, all right, I'll take my chances. Then they go get Story for 140. At that point, the writing's on the wall. They don't trade him. They pretend that he's coming back. They were never going to make him a real offer. But I just, I will never understand why they handled it that way last year. What, like, from everyone you've ever talked to, have you ever had any real insight on why did you handle it this way? No, not really. I mean, and, and the thing I'll say, too, is we had Alex Cora on the pod a couple of months back, and this is during the season, and he said the number one priority for us has to be bringing back Xander Bogarts. So now you're playing a really dangerous game. So first of all, just going back to your original point is you offered him less money on an annual average basis than Trevor Story. And I was saying this earlier, he literally called Trevor Story so Trevor Story would come here. And then after that, you offer him less money. Him and Boris say, hey, they don't want to discuss this during the season. Xander publicly says he's open to discuss it during the season. This guy was like legitimately begging to be here. And this is a guy that has won two World Series. He plays shortstop for you. He wants to be here, but you made the choice for him. And I'm with you completely on the $280 million. It's crazy. On a side note, I don't know what the heck the San Diego Padres are doing. But the point is, it should have never gotten here. The Red Sox should have taken care of Xander Bogarts already. All you had to do was give him a decent offer, and he would have taken it. You go back to his original deal he signed, the extension, yeah. during 19. It was a deal that his agent, Scott Boris, didn't want him to take. So all you had to do was treat this guy reasonably well. It was a deal he- that we felt we felt bad about as Red Sox fans. It was <laughs> yeah. low. It was like, dude, we love you too, but you don't have to take a freaking discount. Well, and, but- and now it just comes back to this whole idea of, so Bogarts is gone. We know that they already traded Mookie and they got nothing in return for that. And now you have Rafael Devers, who is in the same situation that Mookie's going to get traded. He's going to get traded. We know how this is going to play out. And it's worse than this because you neglected to mention the part where they were a luxury tax team last year anyway. Mm -hmm. And they came in last. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to say, look, they're cutting costs, this is a rebuild, they have all these prospects they love, Mayor's going to be the shortstop down the road. This is how it's going to play out. You can't give this guy eight years. I think Marcelo could be here in two and a half, three. 
why not just reset, be a tax team three years from now? And like, there's some sort of plan. That wasn't what they did either. They still spent money just in different directions on guys that, honestly, I'd just rather would have Bogarts than Trevor Story. We have no idea what the deal with Story's elbow is. He was able to play second base. There was a lot of rumors. He was struggling. He looked miserable the first six weeks of the season. And I think playing second base is just way easier from a throwing standpoint, from all of that stuff, than shortstop. Now we're going to throw that guy in a shortstop for at least two years. And he might have a bum elbow for all we know. And he's not as good as Bogarts. And he wasn't here the whole time. The point, it's it's not just about the team. It's about like people like Sean Grandy's son, who's, I don't know, probably has had Bogarts in his life the whole life, his whole life, you know, and he wakes up in the morning and Bogarts is gone. Like it doesn't seem like the Red Sox value that stuff anymore. And I think that's, it really reminds me of the Bruins. I, I was there. I'm older than you. I used to love the Bruins as much as I love the other teams. And by 1994, I just didn't care as much. They'd beaten it out of me. They left cups on the table. They just cheaped out. They did a whole bunch of organizational stuff that was indefensible. And it just made me not like hockey as much. And I've never liked hockey as much since. And I think the Red Sox are in danger of pushing that way with this team because the tickets are too expensive. They're going to lose kids who are attached to people like Mookie and Xander. And I think this is a dangerous game they're playing. I don't I don't know. have anyone in my life who thinks that these owners really care about the Red Sox right now. Yeah, and that's the whole thing is, right, there's so many different parts to that portfolio where they just recently bought the Penguins, so people are always going to come back to that. And the other component to this is when you look at this just sort of going forward, Heimblum doesn't have a track record where he can defend the moves that he's making, right? So if this is after <laughs> 2000... It's a tra- track record is like, it's like a picture of a car accident. <laughs> yeah, what? that's right. His track record is he's been an absolute unequivocal yeah. disaster as a GM. He's terrible. He's Yes, he's been horrible. He's and, fucking horrible. The Hunter yeah. Renfro, just a chain of the Hunter Renfro thing and oh Jackie Bradley and, and somehow putting them closer to the tax is one of the worst Boston GM things in the last 20 years. Yeah, without question. And like after... Being two wins away from the World Series, you just remove 30 home runs from your outfield and replace them with Jackie Bradley. I get it. You got minor league guys, but you didn't replace, you didn't put a right fielder out there. You got mediocre minor league guys. You didn't even get like real minor league guys. Like, what was that? And you had no interest in bringing back Kyle Schwarber and your old friend Dave Dombrowski brings it back. But my whole point is that like Theo had won a World Series in 2004. So if he did some crazy shit, we'd be like, okay, like Theo's a genius. Like this is a, this is right. Theo Epstein. Like you trust him. And with Heim Bloom, there's no trust whatsoever. <sighs> and then getting back to the whole fan idea of this. I mean, Bill, I'm at a lot of games at the end of the season last year when the Red Sox are completely out of it. There's nobody there. And yeah. now you're starting to think about it. Like if this Devers situation gets to the point where they have to trade him, because he could very easily say he's very close with Bogarts. I want out. So if you're not going to give me well over $300 million and the Red Sox haven't come close to a deal with Devers. 300, yet. that's like 400, don't you think? Well, I mean, he, with the he, prices we just had, I think that's 400 million now. It's a good point. And he's got, I mean, it doesn't behoove him to settle for a deal now because he's one, no. he's one year away. I mean, he's right there. So you've removed Mookie. You've now removed Xander, who was the most beloved Red Sox. I mean, everybody loves Xander. The Bogarts. fucking best. Just the yeah. greatest, coolest guy. I have no idea what he's going to be like when he's 37, but I loved having him on my team. Yeah. And so now if Devers is gone, like, who are fans coming to watch? Broken down Chris Sale? Like, who's the guy that's attracting people to go to the ballpark? When I grew up watching the Red Sox, I want to see Manny. I want to see David Ortiz. Those are the it's guys that I want to see. 
And now, like, this younger generation had these guys. They had this unbelievable team. I mean, they had Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts. Now it's like, you got Trevor Story, who's got a bad elbow. You got Kike Hernandez, who's like a nice utility player. Kike, that was your number two go-to, was Kike Hernandez? Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, you just got the guy from Japan, Yoshiba. Like, that's great. I mean, hopefully On he's going to— On base machine. I, yeah, listen, I— I just don't understand the plan. I don't understand what they're trying to do other than gut the team and sell it. I don't think there's any other takeaway. I think this feels like a three-year plan to cut costs, make the team as malleable as possible for the next owner, and we know they're getting the Vegas NBA team. That's happening. I don't know how many times I can tell people that. LeBron's going to be involved. That's happening. Um, That's why they're going to get rid of the Liverpool thing. That's why they're going to sell the Red Sox. They're going to move their investments toward the NBA and the Penguins and whatever mm. else. Um, and that that's just their end game. And I, I think what's weird to me, maybe they don't care. I think Warner probably is smarter about this stuff than Henry. Henry's just like a numbers guy. Like, you know, he's like part alien. Um, <laughs> this affects their legacy now. Mm-hmm. This, you, you could have gone out with like, we won four World Series. We rebuilt Fenway and everything around it. Everybody said that ballpark had to go. We figured out a way to keep it and to keep the integrity of it and still make it a fun place to go and make it a fun place to go down there. Like they did that. Congratulations. Um, but the last three years are going to be part of the first paragraph now. And I don't, they're going to have to buy the Boston Herald, I think is the only <laughs> way around this. They already own the globe. So they'll Get be able to control that. They control everybody, but our guy, Chad, um, but the Herald, um, they might have to just buy that too, so they can have maybe buy WI, maybe just buy all the media and just turn it into freaking Pravda. Well, and here's the one other problem: is how is the manager going to feel about this? He went to San Diego. He went. How's to, he going to feel shitty? What are you talking about? How well, do you feel good about this? Well, think about this. You in my in my mind, you have the best tactical manager in the game in Alex Core. We saw what he did in the 18 run. We saw what he did to Kevin Cash in 2021, where he was just take. He was bringing in lefty relievers to get their lefties out of the game, like in the eighth yeah. inning, and he fell for the trap every single time. And now. Last year, you didn't give him the pieces to work with in terms of what he was working with in a bullpen. He's already said on multiple occasions he doesn't want to manage forever. He wants to go into a front office. If I'm the Red Sox Can he go into this front office? Well, that's my point is they should just let him go into this one because the only way I see them coming out of this, and I mentioned this off the top, is Correa. That's the only way. But why why would Brian Bloom go after Correa for that type of money? The, the Giants missed out on Aaron Judge. I mean, they're probably willing to offer Correa well over $300 million. So if the Red Sox won't get over $200 million for Bogarts and Correa is two years younger, are they actually going to be willing to spend for a guy like Carlos Correa? Or are they just going to be okay with being in this mediocre point where we keep hearing about long-term sustainability? Well, you finished in last this year. In 2020, the COVID year, you sucked as well. So I don't know, when does this whole idea of winning consistently actually start with this organization when your best players are going to play for other teams? I, I just don't understand any of this whatsoever. My worry is Haim cares more about the Marcelo piece with this than anything, right? And he's like, Marcelo was his pick, right? Wasn't he his pick? He was. Yeah, and I mean, they got lucky, right? Because he's the fourth overall pick, but you have teams in front of him that won't Whatever. pay the slot money. H- yeah, yeah hi- history is going to remember that he picked him. And that's his win now, is like, I rebuilt the Red Sox. Here's the next face of the franchise. But Devers has to be part of that. 
now it's like if you let Devers go on top of this, and I think they're going to trade him. I do. I don't. I don't have inside info. I just feel like that's where the breadcrumbs are being laid. And they same thing with with Bogarts a year ago. You're gonna keep him. You take care of him last year at a discount. Make a commitment to him. They didn't. Same thing with Devers. You get an extension. You take care of it. You don't let the market get crazier than which it did. Right now, you have Soto goes to the Padres. Yep. Now Devers is going to measure himself against that, and I just don't think they're going to pay it. I don't. I don't. Which the the craziest contract they've given was what two hundred million for Manny? What was that? Was that eight years? Two hundred eight years? One sixty? Well, something like that. The price contract is over two hundred million. Oh yeah, price. Yeah, pri- yeah, I'm trying to think of like for a hitter. Um, store, yeah, price was over two forty. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. But they've never they've never chalked you know thrown around the three hundred and eighty million dollar deal anything like that they've never come close to that and the honestly the Yankees didn't want to do it either but their fan base unlike the Red Sox who don't care about their fan base and aren't intimidated by them I think that Steinbrenner has gotten intimidated by the Yankee fan base so that Judge deal is just as as indefensible as too oh, many yeah. for Bogarts I mean what is what's Judge going to look like at age thirty eight he's going to be wearing a fucking Back brace. He's going to be wearing like a hydroglide back, back brace with like a fake vertebrae in his fourth vertebrae at that point, a new shoulder. Well, I've already so. had enough of the Yankees fans. Like you've done nothing besides like bring your own guys back. Now, if they get Carlos Rodon, I'll be talking. I'll be singing a different tune. But so far, all they've done is brought back Aaron Judge. Now, here's yeah, a- they brought back Aaron Judge, who brought them zero World Series appearances. So congratulations. Yeah, you haven't made he it since 09, guys. Sorry. Yeah, and, he, and Stanton's a better postseason player than Aaron Judge. So that, that's yeah. where they're at. But- the other interesting component of this is, so now like the ownership, it almost feels like it's worse that Dave Dombrowski had this success where he went to the World Series last year. And now when you look at it, they're like all in on Bloom, right? Because they moved on from Dave Dombrowski after he won a World Series for them and he won three division titles. And now it's like, we have to get it right with Bloom because we already look stupid right now with the success that Dave Dombrowski is having. And from a Red Sox fan's perspective, the one thing I keep going back to, Bill, is if Dave is still here, despite some of the issues people have with him, is Xander gone? Is Rafael Devers already signed? Because there was momentum mm. like, hey, they got to lock this guy up earlier. This is the problem with these guys. Like Devers, it should have never gotten to this point. Like Devers should have been signed two, three years ago. That's what, like if you look at the Atlanta Braves, they sign all these guys early. Look at the Tampa Bay Rays with Wander Franco, right? They go to these guys early. So then you can actually get early, like guy. super early. Like they're yeah. fucking proactive about it. Unlike yeah, this team. Yeah. You're looking at it. You're like, okay, well, I'm six, seven years away from free agency and I'm getting life changing money. You're more willing to take that deal. But well, especially Mookie- if you're not going to be a free agent for like four years. And that's what the Red Sox like. I, I don't. That's the biggest advantage you have in baseball. You can't do that in basketball. Yeah. And you Mookie's, know, like if yeah. Tatum's awesome in year two, you can't be like, hey, Tatum. How about a 10-year deal for 50 million bucks? You you have to wait until his, you know, he's eligible in baseball. You can basically make up your own rules. They could have done that with Devers every year for the last 3, they didn't. Yeah, well, and the other thing is um with Devers going forward now, it's just he's going to be completely pissed off because Bogarts is one of his best friends, but now the other component is you mentioned Tatum. You know who they have Wait, can I wait, can I push back on the Bogarts thing? Yeah. Uh, uh with Devers yeah, I think he's probably it's so much money. He's probably just happy for the dude, right? Like, like Bogart says to him, "Hey, man, they offered me one sixty. San Diego offered me two eighty, and ultimately, this is good." I don't. I just don't think Devers is going to be like. I don't think he's wired like that. Do you? We haven't seen. 
The guy's no, like I pretty don't, much no. a blank slate. I don't see him coming in and being like surly. And I just think he's going to be, you know, businesslike about it. He's going to have an awesome year. He's going to put the onus on them to either give him a massive extension or trade them or panic or whatever they're going to do. But I think he's going to be awesome next year, but I don't see him being like, like bitter about it. Do you? Well, I, I think he's going to be bitter about the Bogarts component that yeah, they, okay. they didn't take care of his friend that right. Bogarts is the leader of the team, the face of the organization, all that. And the, ownership group and Heim Bloom didn't take care of his guy. And if the team isn't playing well, I think that's when you obviously get in trouble with that. But you, when you, well, mentioned and they Tatum, insulted him too, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. When you meant, when you mentioned um, Tatum, it got me thinking like Wick and his group have got to be so happy right now because they're already wow. like the best team in the NBA. They're a complete wagon right now. And now you look at it, the Patriots, of course, we've been through this. They're really struggling. Now, the Bruins are a wagon, but the Celtics are the more popular team in town right now. And now the Celtics have just I heard you talking to Rosillo about this. The Celtics have just taken over. They like they're the most yeah. intriguing storyline in town. Tatum is like in front town, and they're in the, the, in the league. I, yeah. I think they're the best story in the league. Yeah, it's this goes back to the Red Sox, though. You, the Bruins are they're so good. I'm even like watching some regular season hockey, which believe me, that does not happen. Um, Celtics are the best team in the league, and I, I don't think it's debatable anymore. Like, whether Milwaukee, when they get Ingles back and Connaughton healthy, they'll be there, but it's really those two. And we're going to get into April. What happens in April? Round one. Round one hockey. Round one basketball. Can the Celtics do it? Can they get over the hump? Do you think people are going to give a shit about fucking Trevor Story? And, you know, whether Kenley Jansen can be the closer we've needed for the last two years. Like there's going to be no Red Sox dialogue at all. They're going to get blown out of the water. And the Bruins thing, I feel like, especially with the younger, the under 30 generation, I think they've gained a lot of momentum because there, there's no Jacobs residue with the people under 30 and the and they're really fun to watch. Right. So you have those two choices night after night. There's going to be nights where it's like Bruins Celtics, same night. There's going to be weekends where it's like, Celtics on sat on Saturday afternoon, Bruins Saturday night, shit like that. The Red Sox are going to be fucking irrelevant, like yeah. irrelevant. And that hasn't happened. I don't think since probably pre Clemens, I would say like the 1983, 84 range. That was the last time. And it was a lot of the same reasons. It was because they fucked up Fisk. They fucked up Fred Lynn. They fucked up Rick Burleson. And the fans were like, w this is a disaster. And they kind of gravitated to the Celts and the Bruins. Yeah, so that, I think that's going to happen again. I really do. Yeah, that's the problem is they're going to get into that irrelevant category because like you think about it, where do you want to spend your money now? Like I'm, if you're saving up, you're saving up for a Celtics playoff game. You're saving up for a Bruins playoff game. Why the hell do you want to go see the Red Sox play without Xander Bogarts, without Mookie Betts? We'll see what happens with Rafael Devers. And I can tell I was at the Celtics game last Friday. That crowd is crazy. That crowd and it was a, awesome. Oh my god, it was unbelievable. And it was the crazy overtime game against Miami, yeah. like the one bad Tatum game all season. And yeah. then I doubled down and I went to the Bruins on Saturday night, and they had the Stanley Cup champs in town, who they just beat again tonight. And that game was electric. I mean, the atmosphere in there was unbelievable. And those two teams are trying to win. Like they get all the well, the Celtics don't have older players, some, but the Bruins have this old. Like they, they they got Krejci back. They got Bergeron. So it right. feels like okay, this may be their last big run. There's a lot of excitement there. And with the Celtics, they're not going away. This team is going to be really good for the next what five, six, seven, eight years because no, I don't I see mean, any the way nucleus, they don't. Yeah, the nucleus is set. 
and the only real kind of piece now is whether Grant Williams comes back and he they even have him under contract at least for next year. Yeah, yeah he's, it's, he's, he's restricted. And then the other component is like Jalen now, like all this, the issues maybe that they had in terms of like the trade rumors in the past, he's going to make an all NBA team. So he's going to get, yeah. he's, he's going to, they're going to be able to offer him the Supermax. It's so unbelievable. It, it, I mean, the greatest, that's a totally under the radar story. You're right. If he just even gets a third team, it's the best competitive thing that ever could have happened for them because yeah. it, it now allows them to just take care of them. And by the way, this ownership, it's the complete opposite of the Red Sox. They have the money. They care. They're going to do whatever it takes to win a title. And it, by the way, it's, I mean, Wick has some other businesses and stuff, but the Celtics are like his life. That's what he does, right? This is, it's, this isn't a situation where the Red Sox are one of the four things somebody owns, or in Henry's case, even more than that. I just think they've, Lost. I think they had some success, and I think they lost kind of like sight of what matters. Like it, it almost feels like because we won the titles when they were owners, that now they're they're basically. It's like that old joke, like Adam Vinatieri never has to buy a drink in Boston. I think they felt that way. And by the way, that could have been true. But the one thing you can't do is basically take a shit on the fans and just be like, "You're lucky to have us here." Go. He, he, we fixed Fenway and now we're going to have a crappy team, but go anyway and pay big tickets. The other thing is in the, in the online ticket era where you can just wait until five thirty, six o'clock now and just grab somebody's season tickets for the night for, you know, 20 bucks, $200 tickets. Like, you know how this goes. There's 81 home games. People don't go to 81 Red Sox games. They're trying to get rid of their tickets left and right. So you're going to have like, I just think the walk-up sales are going to be done. It'll yeah. just be all like people really smart, waiting and waiting, going on the different sites. It's like, oh man, I'm in row 20 in section section 51 for 15 bucks. You know, yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah, they'll do the student ID tickets and it's like, are you sure you don't have a college ID? You, uh, you look like you graduated like 10 years ago, but can yeah, you just yeah. show us a college ID so you can get a discount? Well, hey, I do feel good that we at least talked a little bit of Celtics to get my mind off the Wait, situation. can we talk a little more of Celtics? Uh, yeah, we certainly can. I mean, I w I'm not going to bed tonight like, I know, you're nice af ruined. after this situation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! The Warriors thing is a bummer that Wiggins isn't playing. Because they're catching the... I watched the Warriors tonight. They blew this Jazz game, which was the single worst NBA loss of the season. They're up four. Jazz take the ball, 12 seconds left. They make believe they're running a layup and they kick it back out for a three. Then they foul. They get a turnover. They end up scoring with like three seconds left. They somehow steal the game. The Warriors are like, they're just a mess. But Wiggins was the key guy for them against the Celts. And they're yeah. not going to have him. It's a Saturday night game. 
they really have nobody to guard Tatum, like on the roster. And I and I think the Celtics have had this game circled since the schedule came out. And every th- good thing that's happened in this team stems from that finals and the fact that they were embarrassed in those last three games. And I think I think it drives. Do you see Tatum's quote today, where he was like, "It's just another win. It doesn't matter until we get the banner." Like that. These guys are like wired. I don't know how they did it, but they could give a shit about regular season, the wins, all NBA. All they want is the title. They hated how it felt. And they've answered every question I've had about them. I mean, wouldn't you say the same? Yeah, my favorite thing is, and I get it like with the Warriors, they've been circling this one, but they find a reason every night. Like the other night against the Toronto Raptors, you're down Al, you're down Brogdon. And then that's like the one of the games, and they did it Sunday too. They won that game because of their defense where they just turned it on. And it's just the overwhelming athleticism that Tatum and Brown bring on a nightly basis. And like this game tonight, they were up 88 to 49 on a team that is number one coming into the night in the Western Conference. And I thought that Jalen Brown just punked Evan Booker. I mean, there was he did. He had two and ones on him. And then he came down the other end and he just completely stoned him defensively it does feel like these guys are on a mission right now and i actually don't you think with don't you think with Jalen there's there's a fuck you to him this year that he never had before i don't yeah he keeps saying i'm him he he keeps saying i'm him after he had shots i didn't never thought this guy exist i always i was always a huge Jalen supporter i always thought he was like a whiff soft like just a whiff i don't feel like he's soft at all anymore like I, i actually think like he's been pretty alpha aggro in some of these games and you saw it today with Booker, like whatever was going on there, it got a little aggro and Jalen was like, he was ready for it. He laid the smackdown, And that's like, this team has this aggro swagger to it. Now I think Blake Griffin weirdly helps, which is weird. Cause he was never like Mr. Aggro, but there's, there's something with the team. Like they, they, their chests are puffed out. There's an attitude, even like somebody like Hauser has it, which is makes no sense. Like he wasn't even in the league last year. But I, 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 you know it when you see it. I've seen it with a couple great Celtics teams over the years, and this team has it. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I felt like now Blake. By the way, he had to play two games in three nights, which I know so- better. Get, better get him send him to Italy. <laughs> one send game him to a Greece. Week. I was loving the one game a week, Blake. I mean, it was oh it was a God. genius thing. And if Brad, if they thought about that before the season, season, it's a genius move because I was saying the other day, like. I didn't think that Blake was going to give them anything, but they found no. like this unbelievable role where he just plays when Al Horford has to sit out. But the and, things- and they love him too, by the way. That's a oh yeah, he was a pretty pretty weird like teammate NBA player in the early 2010s. He's probably the most disliked player in the league. Everybody would get in fights with him and try to dunk on him and hard foul him. And now he's he's become like this beloved veteran. It's very strange. I would not have predicted this eight years ago. Yeah. The other thing is with Tatum, like you felt like another jump was coming, that he was going to take yeah. another leap. I didn't know if that was going to happen with Brown. I didn't know if he was going to take another step. And that would have been fine, right? I mean, he was the second best player that made it to the finals last year. And you added a guy like Malcolm Brogdon who could come off your bench and help with some of getting to the basket and some of the playmaking that he has. So that was going to be OK. But now, of course, he's way up in terms of his scoring average. And He's legitimately become one of the best mid-range shooters in the entire NBA, which I never saw that coming whatsoever. And that's something I feel good about in the postseason, because obviously at times they're going to take away some of the pretty stuff and you're going to have to hit difficult shots. And Jalen last year proved in the postseason he was a really tough shot maker. So 
those two guys, and I heard you well, and, the, and they're handling the ball better. They, yeah. It's like less than six turnovers combined a game. I think it's like 5.9. Yeah, and as a team, it, they're second in assist-to-turnover ratio, which yeah, is just if, phenomenal. If you but told heard, me heading into the season, like, those guys are going to average less than six turnovers a game, I would have been like, no way. Yeah. That that's, doesn't seem realistic. And I heard you and Rosillo talking about this because I brought it up earlier this season, too, is it's like, and I'm not saying they're going to have these careers, but it's like getting to the LeBron Wade category of just like two dominant wings, which we really yeah. haven't seen since those two guys were together, where most nights you have the two most athletic players on the floor and you visibly see it right when they get out on the break, they're completely unstoppable. But on the defensive side, now I know like later on in that run with the Heat, Dwayne Wade, he had all those knee issues. But for the first two years, I mean, those guys together, they were tremendous defensively. And you're getting it on both ends with the Celtics. Because even Jalen, I felt like at times last year, he's always been a good on-ball defender, but he wasn't great off the ball. And now I feel like both those guys are really dangerous off the ball where they just jump in the passing lanes. And Tatum's become a really good shot blocker as well. Yeah, I think they're a little competitive with each other in a good way on defense. Both guys just bring it. So if one guy didn't bring it, it would almost look worse. But I'm with you, man. It's, it's, I said to Rosillo, it reminds me of what we thought we were going to get with Kawhi and George when they joined the Clippers. Yeah. And everyone spent that whole summer going, oh my God, and all the possibilities and two of the best wings in the league. And this is like what the Celtics have, but they have younger versions of it and they're more durable. That's the other thing. It's like these guys aren't playing 55 game seasons. This isn't Jimmy Butler disappearing for eight games, coming back, playing good for two weeks, then disappearing for another four. Like there's real continuity when you have these young guys that can just night after night after night replicate what they're doing. Then everybody else knows, you know, how to play off that. They're every night now, this team knows like hey, Sacramento's a little bit like this actually. Like Sacramento at least knows who their nine are. And I think when you're in December and it's like, do I at least know who my nine are? I don't think Milwaukee's there yet because they haven't had the injuries. But anyway, I think like the continuity and then the fact that they always have good guards now. You think of all those years during the Tatum Brown era where it was like, oh, here comes the eight Langford minutes. Or, yeah. you know, or, oh, here comes Wanamaker. Oh, Wanamaker's playing 27 minutes tonight. There was always like, I think basketball is soccer is like this too, where if you have the weak spot, the ball tends to find the weak spot at the worst times. And in soccer, it could just be like your left back's not that good. All of a sudden, the like five minutes left, all of a sudden the play is in their part and they fuck it up. And the Celtics always had the weak spot. And this year, there's no weak spot. Like Pritchard has to be the best guy in the league who doesn't play. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> it's it's, he's got to be like, what What do I have to do? I should be <laughs> playing 28 minutes on any other team. How? How is this happening? He was in the finals rotation last year, and he's not playing this year during the regular season, which is just fascinating to see. And the guy and that also like the the garbage time now, like where although they weren't good tonight, but they can bring out this garbage time where it's like Pritchard and Hauser. It's like these guys both shoot forty five percent from three. <laughs> like good luck. Yeah. And to the guard point, like Derek White has been phenomenal. He's obviously phenomenal. Way, I, he's so good defensively, and then he's way more confident in his shot this year, which I know that they worked hard with him on that. So obviously, has the confidence to shoot it. So before I let you go, the Cornette contest, like, do you think this is a real thing? I mean, now we're getting articles written about it where it's like distracting mm. guys where he just like jumps in the middle of the lane. I love it. I think I've always liked him. He's had moments or it's not, this is not a completely random thing. He's had moments 
And I do think like you can find these dudes. You can find random guys in that eight, nine, tenth man range. And they just did a bad job at it the last few years. This yeah. year, the Hauser thing, I'll never get over that they didn't throw Hauser in the finals last year. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have made a difference. I don't know, but I talked just, to your dad about that. I'm like, I what know. was that? I mean, the guy was there. Just throw him out there. Just one, just one time, throw him out there. But yeah, I think I was talking to somebody today. Somebody asked me, what do they need? And I was like, I, honestly, I say this in the least like confident way. Like they don't really need anything other than Rob back. When Rob comes back, I don't, there's not a position I would change. It's not like you would go, oh, if we could only improve the Hauser spot. It's like, I like Hauser. He's proven that he could be the three-point shooter spacing guy for certain matchups and he could play off the bench and he doesn't kill you defensively. Of oh, could they improve the Grant Williams spot? Like, no, Grant Williams has been awesome. So yeah. you go on down the line, it's like, could they improve the Derek White spot? No, he's been great. So I think like when Rob comes back, that's kind of the last piece because then that that gives them lineup flexibility, right? That's then it's you know you're playing Jokic and Al Horford gets two fouls in the first five minutes. Now what are you doing? You guarding him with Tatum? Are you guarding him with Blake Griffin? Now now no we're gonna bring Robin or yeah. a situation like you know when when you think like last year when they would just have these five minute defensive stands where nobody scored for five minutes. And Rob yeah. was always out there for that. They don't have that this year. Their defense has never been that good. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is maybe like, to your point about Hauser, maybe like a more defensive-minded wing. But even that is like, you're trying to find yeah, a reason to add another piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're trying to add another piece. But the and one also, thing I also, you have, you have Tatum and you have Brown and you have Grant Williams. Yeah. And you have Marcus Smart. So- no wing is going to be like, oh, this is my free quarter against the Celtics. They're always going to have one person to throw at them. Yeah. My one critique of Joe Mazzullo this year, like other than the gum, which I'm actually, I'm a fan of I love now. the gum. I'm in on the yeah. gum now. Yeah. It's just, hey, why is Jalen on the court to start the fourth quarter tonight? I mean, you're up by like 40 something points. I, though, that's the one issue I do have with him. Sometimes he goes a little heavy on the minutes with Tatum and Brown when these are like, these games are done with like eight minutes left and they're still out there. That's my one issue. Although, I mean, it helps them in terms of their box score numbers and it helps Jalen get his all NBA nod so that he can get uh, the super max. By the way, I don't think that wasn't a small piece of it. I You're do probably think it's right. in their interest to get him stats. I think with Joe, his interviews were really bad. I heard him with Grandy a couple of times and seen him in a couple his interviews were really bad starting the season. He's he didn't there in the headlights, but I just think he was very careful. But I think his personality is starting to come out. He's really likable. And yeah, you well, read the he, backstory in him, man. The, the, I mean, he's like the classic sports movie guy, right? He's like a sports movie character. He slept in the car and coaching his Division II team and sleep in the fucking parking lot because he wanted to get to work earlier and was working for no money and, and was a bar back at night. And, you know, it's one of those things like it's just like he just really wanted it he really wanted to be a basketball coach and he did everything he possibly could to make it happen and then through this bizarre chain of events that include will hardy going to utah right you yeah. have to include that piece too just gets this job and it seems this is crazy this is going to be a disaster and all the everybody involved is like this guy's good and he's been really good i like the no timeouts thing i think i i like that he's talks about it and he's proud of it where he's, he wears it. He's, yeah, he's like, you know what? 
And I like I was watching a game the other day where the team ran out of timeout. The Dallas game the other day, the Dallas Denver game. Denver ran out of timeouts with four seconds left. I'm like, look, Gumchu and Joe's never running out of a timeout. We're always gonna have we're always gonna have one left with eight seconds left. I promise. Because he he won't call a timeout. It'll be a twelve oh run and he'll just be like, work through it. But I think that stuff matters. I think he's right. He's won me over with it. Like we're in Milwaukee, game six. And there's a run and the crowd's going, guess what? He's not going to call timeout. He's going to make them work through it. And I do like the one email quality he has is when like Grant is like calling for a review or Marcus is calling for a review. He just gives him like a nasty look like, no, we're not right. reviewing this. Yeah, right we're, now. Mo- we're moving on. By the way, we didn't even mention like the all time loser in this is email. Oh, my God. Because I I think most of this happened, maybe all of this, but at least 95% of this. I don't know how much credit we give Joe, but he's been great. But it's hard to imagine Tatum and Brown wouldn't have been exactly this good, whoever the coach was. And think about this. If they were like 21 and five with E-Man, clearly the best thing, he'd be a fucking God in Boston. Yeah, and he he completely turned it around. Like he finally got it right with those two guys and the smart yeah. point guard thing. Like those are massive things. I do think sometimes Brad gets underrated in the whole thing because I I just love that he's like, you know what? First round pick and a pick swap for Derek White. He's not a great player, but he's a really good player for us and he's going to fit perfectly with these guys. Same thing with Brogdon. I don't care about giving up a first round pick. I'm going to dump Kemba's contract. I'm trying to get yeah. guys fit. And I wonder if part Horford. of that is yeah, Horford. I wonder if part of that is when he's coaching, he realizes like the pieces that he didn't have that Danny didn't get him. Not to take away from Danny because he drafted Tatum and Brown. None of this happens without and Grant Williams, et cetera. The list and Rob, the list goes on and on. But it does feel like Brad was really good at finding those connecting pieces that would fit perfectly with Tatum and Brown because I really don't think he's missed when it comes to that. He hasn't really made a draft pick, quite frankly. He just goes and gets no. NBA players. Brad got Brad had a really rough if you look back, like really bad luck, just as as the coach, Brad Stevens, right? The Hayward breaks his ankle in five minutes, second quarter. The Kyrie thing is a disaster. They audible to Kemba, who's, you know, was honestly a losing player if you're trying to win a title. He couldn't guard anybody, and he really couldn't play four nights and seven games, stuff like that. And then the pandemic and the bubble, Hayward gets hurt in the bubble. Every single thing goes wrong, and it just felt like, you know, sometimes just too many things can happen. Do I think they would be just as good if he was the coach? Yeah, I, I kind of do. But I think the thing that he's been really smart about is I think he just saw where the league was going. He saw offense was just going to be almost like in football 10 years ago, where it's just like offense is going to matter more than anything else. Shooting's going to matter more than anybody else. How can I get as much shooting as possible? And every decision they've made, everybody they've gotten has been somebody who can shoot like almost without fail, right? And even the guards. And he just knows like you need multiple guards, you need malleability, you need shooting. And that's even like the Horford, Horford can shoot, you know? And so I do think he has to, he'll never talk about it. He'll never take credit for it. He'll never talk about his vision. He's just not like that. But I do think that if you look at all the pieces together, it's the opposite of Heim Bloom, right? (laughs) It's a circle back, yeah. It's literally a 180 from Heim Bloom. (laughs) Heim Bloom, no vision at all. And even after the fact, we're like, what was that plan? We finished last and paid the luxury tax. (laughs) And we just lost Bogarts. What just happened? And Stevens is the opposite. Yeah, 
Yeah, and two way guys. He like Brogdon and and White and right. Al Horford. Interchangeability, like, right? That's the other thing. Guys who can switch. Like never. I think he had Kemba for two years, and he's like, we can't win this way. They're just remember Toronto just hunting Kemba. Oh my god! Like, yeah, he, like the he was like in the like it was like some wilderness game where he was like those action movies where somebody's being chased, and it was just like, where's Kemba? We got to get him. Well, um, I remember with uh, I, uh, it back in the day, he used to do this thing where he's another have, one. Yeah, you'd have like IT start on the guy that was going to screen. And then when the guy went to screen, he'd run to the other corner. Like he came up with a whole strategy yeah. to protect Isaiah Thomas. And he probably thought, hey, whoever my coach is, I don't want them to have to come go through this and come up with all these like crazy tactics just pr- to protect my offensive player. Well, there's a reason they're 49 and 12 in their last 61, right? It's when you can shoot like they can shoot and you can switch basically on everything defensively and you're athletic, like what, what's missing? You Nothing. know, and, and when Robert Williams comes back, I hate like uh, we've said 20 sound bites that can be played against us in March when the Celtics are in a swoon. But I just think this is sustainable. Like at some point, basketball is pretty easy to figure out if you're one of those teams like they were that team that one year where they were felt like they were behind by 10 points every game and clawing back all the time. And it's like, this is a bad sign, you know, and, and conversely, like this team's never trailing. This team always has the lead. There was Grandy had that stat. They've had 67 minutes all year where they didn't have the lead. That's at some point that's, this is now a 26 game sample size of one team who plays is always in the lead. That means something. So I don't think it's a fluke. And it's kind of like in a different way, the 14 Spurs after like they had that difficult loss, which obviously they had that series one, unlike the Celtics, but the Heat yeah. going back to 12, like I remember they kicked the shit out of the Dallas Mavericks on opening night to send the message. And even like the Warriors after they won their first championship where they were like doubted because, oh, Kyrie was hurt, Kevin Love was hurt, and they came out of the gates just like flying. So I really don't see that situation playing itself out where they go through some sort of funk like it, I mean, if they lose back-to-back games again this season, I think I'm going to be stunned. It, it, I mean, injuries out of the question, of course, but I just think they're too talented. I mean, even when Jalen or Tatum sits, the other guy just goes for like a crazy amount of points. Like Jalen had, what, 37 yeah. the other night when Tatum had to sit? Well, the, so This West Coast trip's going to be really good for them because there's Celts on the West Coast. The amount of fans in the different cities is always like just it makes me so happy. Yeah, so that was Phoenix crazy. today. Yeah, you'll see it. They play Clippers Monday night, Lakers Tuesday night, right? Yeah. Clippers game will be half Celtics fans. Yeah, maybe, I think I, maybe even I, more. Tonight it was packed in Phoenix with Celtics fans. Packed. I think I, I think I saw Ordway out there with pom poms cheering for the Celtics. Oh my god, <laughs> you'll talk. Ordway, <laughs> he's getting That's fired hilarious. up. <laughs> or, 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 or working as an usher. Um, the the two LA games. I'm sorry. The two LA games, I think, will be good litmus tests for different reasons, right? Because ironically, Kawhi and Paul George will probably play. Yeah. So now it's like, I remember going a couple years ago, Jalen and Tatum were like the baby, the baby versions of those guys. And it was like adorable. It's like, oh, someday they can be like Kawhi and Paul George. But and you could you knew it had a real chance. Now they're better than those guys. Then you go Lakers the next night. Always magical, but you have this LeBron Davis thing. It's a physical team with some size. You would say without Rob, this is the kind of team that might give them trouble, but I'll go the other way. I think they'll just run 
and they'll get wide open shots and they'll try to make it like a 130 to 125 game. The Lakers won't be able to keep up. So I I actually think we could come out of those two LA games with everybody going, holy shit, this Celtics team. Because it doesn't feel like we're there yet nationally. No, and that's a back-to-back, right? That's Monday and Tuesday. So, I mean, we'll have to deal with the Mac Jones situation on Monday night against the Cardinals. But that game, and I do remember when Tatum... The what situation? That, the situation where we all watched the Celtics-Clippers game over the Pats-Cardinals game? I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the two TVs going, and I'm going to be paying attention to the Celtics more than I think the Patriots. But We know what's going to happen in this Pats game. Kyler's going to run around. They're going to Pat's yeah, going to take a lead. Stop him. Kyler's going to run. It's going to schoolyard. Kyler's going to come out and all of a sudden it'll be Bentley running two yards behind him as Kyler runs for another 11. Like, I don't think they're going to beat Arizona. I don't. Uh, I hope you're wrong about, I think they, I just think Cliff will screw it up. I mean, I, I can't see Bill losing to Kingsbury, although he did lose to Adam Gase. So, I mean, <laughs> we haven't had a good coaching staff in really since the Rams Super Bowl game where I felt like, oh, we have a huge coaching advantage. And I don't blame Bill because his resume is impeccable, but I think he assembled a shitty assistant coaching staff. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. Two of his kids work on the coaching staff. Like at some point he made the decision, I want to work with people I like being around versus I want to do anything I can to win. And and the team's sloppy. They're poorly coached. They, they, They execute like crap. I thought the Buffalo game was absolutely embarrassing. Buffalo had no pass rush, and they have a weak secondary, and they're just throwing these five-yard dump-offs for four quarters. I, it, it sucked, and it, it was not a Belichick game. That Belichick, 15 years ago, if he saw that, he would have like drank poison. <laughs> yeah, He would have been well, like, I can't believe this is what I turned into as a coach. And I think with the offense, you can't have the personnel be so poor and the coaching be so poor. Like, it's got to be one or the other. If you're going to have one of those be a weakness, then you at least got to have stud receivers. Like, when I was talking to Charlie Weiss the other day, that's what he said. The biggest issue is they don't have, now, some of it is the play calling as well, but they, they don't have enough good weapons right now. They don't. They, they yeah, just but what, don't. how come this is the only team that doesn't throw 50-50 balls 35 yards downfield? Well, that's a good point, too. And that's no why other, Matt- every other team, I watch football on four TVs every Sunday. And everybody who struggles on offense just throws the ball down the sideline and tries to get a PI or make a play, except for the except for the Patriots. They yeah. don't do it. No, it makes no sense. They started the year doing it that way, yeah. and now they've gone to like the complete opposite, where they don't take chances whatsoever. It felt like because Mac had all those turnovers at the beginning of the season, they almost like neutered him, and they said, "Hey, we're not taking any chances. Right, we're, you're not beating us. Well, yeah, guess what? We're six and six. Yeah, we're not throwing into tight windows whatsoever. And the problem now is they're running back. He can't do anything because the offensive line isn't good, and everybody knows they're running on first down, and he just gets hit in the backfield. So it's a complete mess. But the wait, positive- what happened? What happened to our guy Kyrie and his stories about Ty Thornton and how fucking fast he was at training camp and people laughing? Oh, we had him on the other day. He's still mad about that. He still still, thinks he should be out there. Is he still telling the stories? Like, what what happened to the blazing speed that had people laughing hysterically on the the sidelines? Well, I don't know. They won't even run a reverse with him anymore. I know. The fastest guy on the team, they ran the reverse with Kendrick Bourne. I know. It's like, what about the guy who runs the 4-2? Can we run the reverse with him or no? Does that make too much sense? I got a funny feeling that Kendrick Bourne's not going to see much of the field on Monday night after his comments after the game where he said we have yeah, to scheme, he doesn't care. scheme it up. He's probably trying to get waived. Yeah, he gets waived to get point. claimed by a playoff team. Yeah, and I mean, the the one big play they had is a guy that doesn't play offense. 
So that tells you where the weapons are at right now. That the one time they actually had like a successful offensive play was when they put a special teams player out there in Marcus yeah, but Jones. By the way, if they put him out on Monday night, guess what? The Cardinals are going to shift their defense around and be concerned that he's out there. Like that's how they have to start thinking. That was what made Gronk so great. Gronk was just this walking disadvantage. It's like in basketball when you just you have this guy that the whole defense, like Jokic, where it's like, shit, what do we do? We don't have any shit. What do we do, guys, except for Ramondre? And they just put eight guys in the box because they know we're not going to throw deep. I thought the Buffalo, Buffalo had to have been laughing their ass off when they left that game. Oh, that, yeah. That they're like, wow, we didn't have Von Miller. We had no pass rush. We're banged up in our secondary. The only thing we have is team speed on defense. And this stupid team was just throwing like quick outs. And screen passes. Like, what a fucking miracle that was. They yeah, had to have the, been laughing the whole time. Yeah, the second half, they must have told Josh Allen, hey, really don't run it. I mean, we don't need to right. run it. Don't just get hurt. Make, yeah, just throw the ball like five yards. We're going to complete it. We can easily don't go get down hurt. The field. We're playing the dumbest team in the AFC. Don't get hurt. Like, that's the thing. When did the Patriots ever, when were they ever dumb? This is like what the Pete Carroll era was like. Well, and, and they lost that minute with Drew Bledsoe. They lost that Minnesota game because they were dumb. I mean, they, yeah. they're running into the punter. They're letting a kickoff go for a touchdown. They had all these mind-numbing errors. And then you think about the end-of-the-half situation against the Bills. What was that? Where they call, a, awful. they call a timeout that they waited 10 seconds after to call a timeout. Then Mac quarterback sneaks, and they call another timeout. Like, I don't understand what they were doing in that situation whatsoever. That made no sense to me. And well, well the game management has been so bad that Jason Garrett questioned them. <laughs> he did? Which is like, yeah, one of those NBC games. Like, when he's questioning your game management, you know it's like uh, rock bottom. Anyway, we got the Celtics. Even the regular season Bruins have been fun. The, you, oh, yeah. know, you keep your guard up with regular season hockey because you could go 70 and 12 and then lose in five in round one and wonder like, what the fuck happened. At least hey. with the Celtics, I think it's going to be very hard to beat that team. We got two of four, and the Bruins are probably going to win the President's Cup trophy, and now the Celtics are going to win that new trophy for the best team, the best regular season yeah. record in the NBA. NBA needs to settle down with these trophies and naming things. and Settle down, NBA. All right, it was good to see you. Thanks for staying up so late. We really appreciate it, the ringer. This was important. Bogarts was an important guy. He deserved he an emergency podcast. He did. I was fired up to do it. So, hey, thanks for stopping by, Bill. We appreciate it. All right, good to see you. 